From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shep, budget and appropriations reporter. And we are finally nearing the finish line, Jen, on the saga of the pandemic relief package that everybody has been so eagerly waiting for. Uh, As we tape on Tuesday, the House is scheduled to vote either later today or tomorrow, Wednesday, on what we expect to be the final vote to clear this $1.9 trillion package uh, that has been weeks and weeks in the making. They don't, the the margin will be razor thin. We know that. Uh, It's a party line vote, but Democrats appear confident to have the votes they need to get the measure through. And Biden is quite eager to sign it probably by the end of this week. Yeah, so this process has been a little less than two months long. If you remember back to mid-January, when then-president-elect Joe Biden uh, announced his $1.9 trillion coronavirus proposal, a lot of people at the time didn't know if Republicans would sign on board to this package, if Democratic leaders on the Hill would try to take a little bit of time to negotiate with Republicans maybe get some broad bipartisan support. But we did know at the time that the Biden administration and Democratic leaders in Congress really wanted this coronavirus aid package enacted ahead of March 14th, which is when that $300 weekly plus up of unemployment insurance benefits from the December aid package expired. And so we did know that there was a bit of a quick timeline or a quick turnaround for lawmakers on this. Um, But we sort of quickly learned after that that Democrats weren't going to take a whole lot of time um, and that they were not willing to kind of lower the spending level for this a whole lot, um, which is why Congress went through that budget reconciliation process, which gets them around that 60 vote uh, legislative filibuster in the Senate, and which is part of the reason there has been no Republican support in Congress for this legislation. Yeah. And so Democrats uh, can't afford to lose more than four of their own members here to pass this thing, assuming there's going to be solid Republican opposition as there was on the previous vote. Um, But it does appear that they have the votes. There were only two defections last time. um, And even one of those members now says he'll support this, this measure. So it appears it appears they have the votes. It appears it'll be signed this week. Um, it did, you know, the, the Senate did make several changes to appease uh, moderate Democrats, and and that did frustrate some progressives. We should say most notably, of course, was they dropped the increase in the federal minimum wage. Uh, the progressives desperately wanted that to go to fifteen dollars an hour. They had to drop that measure from the package in the Senate because it would have violated the budget reconciliation rules of the Senate. Uh, And that was a real blow to progressives, and they say they're going to still fight for it. But there were some other changes, too, which is uh, one on the tax rebate checks. Uh, Those were scaled back in terms of eligibility for who can get them. The the phase-out of the checks, the amount people can get from the checks, phases out more quickly. 
so that so it's geared more toward lower income households. And of course, on the jobless benefits, these unemployment benefits that have been so controversial and and nearly derailed the pa- package on Friday in the Senate uh, when they couldn't get agreement all day. Um, those benefits were trimmed back. The House Democrats did want $400 a week. It got trimmed back to $300 a week. They're going to run through Labor Day with a little tax sweetener because uh, now a lot of those benefits will be tax exempt. Um, so there were some substantial changes there that the Senate made to the package, uh, which progressives weren't that happy about, but they're going to they're gonna fight those another day and they're not going to let the the uh, perfect be the enemy of the good, so to speak, and and the Progressive Caucus did signal its support for this amended package. So we should expect fairly solid democratic unity, I, I guess, is a fair assessment. Yeah, I think so. And one of the things to point out is that while West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin uh, did sort of lead his opposition or his concerns about that um, unemployment insurance provision did lead to a pretty lengthy delay during the Senate's Voterama process on Friday. It should be noted that getting someone with the sort of belief system of Joe Manchin to vote for a $1.9 trillion emergency spending package is a pretty significant um, sort of accomplishment by Democratic leaders. I mean, I know that during the past year, in terms of covering relief package after relief package after relief package, all of us have gotten a little bit numb to the amount of spending that Congress has approved to address this, you know, once in a lifetime global pandemic, which has now killed more than 500,000 Americans and really changed the trajectory of the economy and people's lives in significant ways. Um, 1.9 trillion is a lot of money. And so I think, you know, there were some minor tweaks there, but on the whole, you have really moderate Democrats who do tend to raise substantial concerns about deficit spending, um, as well as progressive Democrats who really want to see kind of big left-leaning spending policies enacted. They have all coalesced around this package. Um, And that's something that is really, really challenging to do from a voting threshold, especially when you have such a narrow margin of the Democratic majority in the House and then a 50-50 Senate. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Jen, about the amount of money here, because we do tend to gloss over that, I think. I mean, when you think about it, you know, Congress this year will spend about $1.4 trillion total in discretionary spending for everything government does for the entire year, $1.4 trillion. And this package alone, this emergency package, is $1.9 trillion on top of that. So it's, it's more than doubling the size of the regular discretionary budget. Um, that's pretty astounding. And of course, we're only numb to it because we just spent the whole prior year passing trillions of dollars in emergency aid for this pandemic that never seems to go away. But but they have been pumping a lot of money. In, and, and I think you're right that to get moderates on board like Joe Manchin is a significant accomplishment for the Democratic caucus in terms of holding their, their members together on this thing, for better or worse. Uh, you know, Republicans are adamant that this, and this is 
also striking that this is the first pandemic relief package to pass without bipartisan support. We had five major packages last year. This will be number six, and it's the first one to have no bipartisan support because Republicans held their caucus together too. And this has really been a polarizing issue this time. Uh, And Republicans are adamant that this is just too much money at a time when the economy is already on the mend, at least in terms of the gross macroeconomic numbers, um, that it's too much money. It, It risks overheating the economy and triggering inflation. And we even had even had Larry Summers, the former Treasury Secretary from the Clinton administration, prominent Democrat, come out warning that that could happen and, and expressing real reservations about this package. So this has really polarized the waters here. It does seem as though it's going to be passed into law, uh, but I think at a real cost because you know, if, if you can't get bipartisan cooperation on emergency pandemic relief, um, wow, it, it really, it's hard to see what else can actually get bipartisan support right now. Yeah, and I think that's going to be one of the really big questions that reporters, lawmakers, and everyone else who pays attention to the federal government wants answered, because we are not even 100 days into the Biden administration, right? This is going to be his first major legislative package And while he campaigned a lot on bipartisanship um, and has talked throughout this process about wanting to work in a bipartisan way with Congress, this legislation in Congress does not actually have Republican lawmaker backing during floor votes. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the Biden administration does next. Um, We're obviously looking towards, you know, a primetime address later this month. A budget request, most likely in mid to late April now. Um, and then, you know, we do know that they want to address infrastructure and climate change in a pretty substantial way. So there's a lot of major policies that the Biden administration wants to enact in its first term. And, you know, some of those can go through the reconciliation process, right? Democrats have another ability to do that. If they adopt a fiscal year 2022 budget resolution, they can use this fast track process again. Um, But that's really it for them during the 117th Congress. And so any other legislation that they want to pass or bills they want to enact that don't conform within those broad guidelines of the budget reconciliation process, right? Revenue, spending, and the debt limit, those have to go through traditional legislative means And right now, that means you need at least 10 Senate Republicans to sign on board. Um, And a lot of them are, particularly the moderates in the Senate GOP conference, are very frustrated with this process. Yeah. But this will be the first major legislative achievement of Biden's presidency, we should say. Uh, It is a big victory for him. And in fact, he plans to go on, make his first primetime address to the country on Thursday night to tout, I think, this this package and, and explain to people what it will mean. And I'll be looking, I think it's interesting too, Democrats are starting to argue that this package is, is the, a real major advance in fighting poverty beyond just helping people get through the pandemic. The t- their, their arguments, I've noticed, have started to shift toward this is really the first breakthrough we've had uh, to to reduce poverty in this country at a time when when the income disparity keeps widening, uh, they were set back by this by the their failure to get the increase in the minimum wage, 
but they are now pointing to this this temporary increase in the child tax credit and the earned income tax credit as real advances to to fight poverty. It'll be interesting to see how much Biden makes that case on Thursday night, I think, and how much Democrats rely on this now uh, to push more policies going forward that would that would make some of these tax credits permanent and uh, they hope make significant inroads in reducing poverty and reducing the income disparity in the country that really has been widening in, in uh, for a few decades now. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see what the Biden administration does um, later this year with its budget request, right? Because this is going to be something that really sets the tone um, for their sort of midterm and long-term plans for those anti-poverty programs, right? And so, you know, this is a pandemic aid bill. This is meant to address issues, you know, during the next several months uh, to hopefully not a year, but possibly a year, you know, as the country continues the vaccination process and researchers get a hold on what the variants actually mean for, you know, long-term healthcare and economic stability. Uh, but the budget request is really going to give us a good look at what the Biden administration wants to do on these types of programs uh, from a kind of longer term perspective, if you will. And then when Democrats in the House and Democrats in the Senate get to writing their fiscal year 2022 budget resolutions in the next couple months, um, that's going to be really fascinating. I'm very excited to watch this process unfold personally. Um, because I think they're going to get into these really complicated debates about revenue and spending and where the Democratic Party is on these big picture issues. Um, and of course, they're going to need to agree on a budget resolution for fiscal year 2022 if they're going to adopt or, you know, sort of send another round of reconciliation instructions to do climate change legislation. And so that's going to be a really interesting process where we're going to get a sort of longer term look at how Democrats want to address these programs. Yeah. And these fights, these partisan fights are only going to grow, I think, because the tone has sort of been set now that, uh, yes, Democrats are getting their way on this pandemic relief package, but um, at a cost, I think, of, of uh, <laughs> real bipartisan tension now uh, that's, that's going to make it tough to pass any, any new package. Republicans were irritated on this one because they thought a lot of the measures in this package, even like things to fight poverty, were unrelated directly to the pandemic and that shouldn't be part of this. And now the question is going to be going forward. If you want to extend any of these, well, then how do you pay for it? And that's going to be a real battle, which we will be all watching for you. But it does seem as though we the final passage is this week and, and it'll be signed into law this week. And then we go forward. Uh, one programming note for our little podcast, uh, this will be the last time uh, that it debuts on a Tuesday. We are switching our recordings to Friday mornings, so you can look for a new edition of our budget podcast every Friday starting next week. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. 
Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>